Chapter One of Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Nine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Nine, by John Hay and John George Nicolay. Chapter One: Sherman's Campaign to the Chattahoochee the great campaign of eighteen sixty four in the west opened with the precision of clockwork at the same moment that grant crossed the rapidan and plunged into the wilderness in virginia a month before grant had communicated to sherman his entire plan of campaign telling him with considerable detail all that he expected others to do but saying to him simply you i propose to move against johnston's army to break it up and to get into the interior of the enemy's country as far as you can inflicting all the damage you can against their war resources such was the confidence and regard that grant always showed to his great subordinate that he did not lay down for him any plan of campaign but merely intimated the work which it was desirable to have done leaving him free to execute it in his own way sherman answered at once accepting the task assigned him with infinite satisfaction he laid before grant his proposed plan of campaign which was for schofield to advance upon the left thomas in the centre and mcpherson on the right against johnston's position at dalton there is no sign of diffidence or distrust in his letter the question of provisions is the only one he considers especially difficult but in that he said i must venture georgia has a million of inhabitants if they can live we shall not starve grant answered on the nineteenth of april saying that the principal consideration to be kept in view by both armies was to guard against the concentration of the enemy against either with the majority of military commanders he wrote they might do this but you have had too much experience in travelling light and subsisting upon the country to be caught by any such ruse i hope my experience has not been thrown away my directions then would be if the enemy in your front shows signs of joining lee follow him up to the full extent of your ability i will prevent the concentration of lee in your front if it is in the power of this army to do it the question of transportation being the most important one in sherman's mind he had issued an order early in april limiting the use of the railroad cars to transporting only the essential articles of food ammunition and supplies for the army absolutely cutting off all civil traffic even troops were not allowed to ride in the cars and beef cattle were driven on their own legs he estimated the strength of the army with which he should move into georgia at about one hundred thousand men and thirty five thousand animals and that he would require one hundred and thirty carloads of ten tons each to reach chattanooga daily to ensure an adequate supply of food and forage no such amount of rolling stock was then in his possession but he laid a strong hand upon all the cars in his reach and like the footsteps that approached the lion's den none ever went back to their place of departure the president of the louisville and nashville railroad finding himself reduced to severe straits from the dearth of cars protested loudly but sherman held firm and tried to comfort him by telling him to keep his repair shops busy night and day and that the business of his road would double and quadruple as the waters of the cumberland fell a still more earnest protest came from the people of tennessee who had already suffered so many hardships during the war and now saw themselves threatened with famine by the action of the union general they appealed to the president who interposed his good word with sherman in behalf of the tennesseans he replied that the railroad could not supply the army and the people too 
one or the other must quit he said and the army don't intend to unless joe johnston makes us he insisted that the clamor was partly humbug the issues to the citizens had been enormous and the same weight of corn or oats would have saved thousands of the mules whose carcasses now corduroy the roads he refused to change his orders and advised the complainants to make up caravans of cattle and wagons to come over the mountains by cumberland and somerset to relieve their suffering friends on foot as they used to do before the railroad was built he was not insensible to the sufferings of the people and proposed that the soldiers should divide their rations with them he asked no one to endure privations which he himself was not willing to share he reduced his own transportation to the minimum and insisted that all the officers of the army should follow his example tents were forbidden to all except the sick and wounded only one tent was allowed to each headquarters for use as an office he himself had no tent and allowed none to any of his officers immediately about him they spread their tent flies over small trees and fence rails if he came across a quartermaster who had saved a tent for himself he took pleasure in depriving him of this illicit luxury and in sending it to the brigade surgeon for the sick i doubt he says in his memoirs if any army ever went forth to battle with fewer impedimenta and where the regular and necessary supplies of food ammunition and clothing were issued as called for so regularly and so well when the time for action approached his army consisted of the following force present for battle the army of the cumberland under major-general thomas sixty thousand seven hundred and seventy three the army of the tennessee under major-general mcpherson twenty four thousand four hundred and sixty five the army of the ohio under major-general schofield thirteen thousand five hundred and fifty nine in the aggregate ninety eight thousand seven hundred and ninety seven men and two hundred and fifty four guns some cavalry and two divisions of infantry joined him during the next month on the twenty eighth of april sherman received his final orders from grant to move by the fifth of may sherman answered that he would be ready and on the first of may telegraphed that he would agree to draw the enemy's fire within twenty-four hours of may fifth and on that day the great army moved out to begin the memorable campaign it had not been the intention of the confederate authorities to allow the initiative to the national forces it was important says jefferson davis to guard against the injurious results to the morale of the troops which always attend a prolonged season of inactivity but the recovery of the territory in tennessee and kentucky which we had been compelled to abandon and on the supplies of which the proper subsistence of our armies mainly depended imperatively demanded an onward movement the confederate executive was continually impressing upon general johnston throughout the spring the necessity for a forward movement his army was a formidable one he had on the first of may at dalton and within easy reach of him sixty eight thousand six hundred and twenty men so anxious was the confederate government for a successful campaign in the west that this large force could have been greatly increased confederate writers say if general johnston had cordially accepted mr davis's suggestions for an active campaign general bragg wrote to him in the middle of march proposing that he should move across the tennessee river near kingston and that general longstreet should move simultaneously by the route east and south of knoxville to form a junction with him near that crossing this bragg thought would isolate knoxville and threaten chattanooga and would necessitate the withdrawal of the federal army to the line of the cumberland he suggested at the same time throwing a heavy column of cavalry into west and middle tennessee to operate on the national lines of communications and as a result of this the capture of nashville and the reclamation of the provision country of tennessee and kentucky 
but at the time this dispatch was received johnston had just heard of grant's visit to the west and of sherman's arrival at memphis he expected therefore the great federal effort to be made in that region he grant has not come back to tennessee he says to stand on the defensive his advance should we be ready for it will be advantageous to us he therefore urgently demanded that the troops which had been offered him for an aggressive movement be sent to him at once and used at his discretion and the same day he wrote to general bragg criticizing in his usual clear sensible and exasperating manner the plan of campaign which had been laid down for him he did not think that knoxville could be isolated in the way suggested and in this he was perfectly right for longstreet when he had thrust his whole army between grant and burnside had not been able to isolate knoxville he believed also that grant would be ready to act before he was and that the confederate forces would have every possible advantage in fighting grant south instead of north of the tennessee this sensible letter was ill received at richmond johnston was informed that reinforcements could be sent him only for an advance and no notice was taken of his protestations that an advance was really what he meant and intended if he had known the communications which were going forward to richmond from his own subordinates he would have comprehended better the coldness and distrust with which he was regarded by the confederate authorities general hood wrote to bragg on the thirteenth of april i am sorry to inform you that i have done all in my power to induce general johnston to accept the proposition you made to move forward he will not consent as he desires the troops to be sent here and it be left to him as to what use shall be made of them i regret this exceedingly as my heart was fixed on going to the front and regaining tennessee and kentucky when we are to be in a better condition to drive the enemy from our country i am not able to comprehend hood was an especial favorite both of bragg and jefferson davis and these misleading accusations still further increased the prejudice under which general johnston suffered at richmond all through the latter part of april the signs of a forward movement in sherman's camp were evident to johnston and constantly reported to bragg who even so late as the second of may suggested to johnston that he was probably deceived by mere demonstrations made for the purpose the position which general johnston occupied in front of dalton was not one which had been originally selected by him bragg's army in its desperate flight from missionary ridge had simply dropped there in its fatigue and entrenched itself where it happened to camp but during the winter and spring the position had been made excessively strong by fortifications dalton is guarded on the left and north by a wall of quartz rock called rocky face ridge it is traversed by a gorge called the buzzard's roost through which runs a little stream called mill creek when sherman arrived on the seventh in front of this formidable barrier the summit and the sides of rocky face were one continuous mass of bristling batteries mill creek had been dammed and a considerable body of water offered an additional protection to the gap of buzzard's roost it would have been an unpardonable enterprise for any general to dash his army against such impregnable obstacles yet it is clear that johnston expected sherman to do this and it is equally clear that sherman during the previous month had seriously contemplated an assault of johnston in that position but when in the immediate presence of the position sherman wisely changed his mind and contenting himself with a strong demonstration in front of johnston's lines he sent general mcpherson with the army of the tennessee through snake creek gap against resaca general johnston expected sherman's principal attack to be made on his front at dalton and he therefore concentrated the full strength of his army at that point leaving the protection of his communications to general polk's troops then on their way from alabama to join him 
he reasoned that it was sherman's true policy to get a battle out of him as soon as he could and to have it as near the northern and as far from the southern base as possible and there is no question that if sherman had not found johnston's position so strong naturally and so admirably defended he would have made the serious attack the confederate general expected and left to mcpherson in case of victory the duty of striking the flank of the retreating confederate column the vigor and energy with which during the ninth and tenth the armies of thomas and schofield pressed johnston's front at all points confirmed the confederate commander in his theory that he was to fight his battle there secure in his formidable works and commanding position and encouraged by the success with which he baffled every attempt of the national troops to pierce his lines he waited during three days for the supreme assault the attack of hooker palmer and howard in front of buzzard's roost was constantly kept up with strong skirmish lines harker's brigade of the fourth corps made a gallant assault on the north crest of rocky face schofield pushed the divisions of j d cox and hovey up to the fortifications extending across the valley north of dalton but everywhere the works were found excessively strong and at last as general cox who took part in the engagement says it became apparent even to the most daring that it was useless to lead men against such barriers the orders were not to waste life in serious assaults upon entrenchments but the zeal of the troops and subordinate commanders turned the intended skirmish into something very like arranged battle meanwhile mcpherson in pursuance of his orders marched through snake creek gap on the ninth of may this is a wild and narrow defile about six miles long the road was merely the bed of a dry stream almost impracticable for wagons shut in by beetling cliffs on either side and dark as twilight even at midday a little distance from its eastern entrance stands the village of Risaka. it had been fortified beforehand by the confederates and two brigades under general canty arrived from the south exactly in time to hold it against mcpherson's advance the ground was admirably adapted for a large entrenched camp in front a rivulet called camp creek flows into the ostanula just west of the village the left of the confederate position thus rested securely on the river its front was guarded by camp creek along whose bank the line ran to the north and turned to the east across the railroad running to dalton and rested upon the conasuaga river which flows into the ostanula a few miles east of Rosaka. mcpherson finding the confederate force strongly posted and entrenched between the mouth of the gap and the railroad not knowing how strongly it might be supported nor exactly informed of the whereabouts of johnston's army and concluding that the works were too strong to be carried by a coup de main took a strong position at the southern mouth of the gap where he secured his force by improvised entrenchments and reported the situation to sherman general sherman afterwards showed great disappointment at this action of mcpherson's and even in his memoirs censures him for not having stormed the works in his front and seized the railroad at the same time he does mcpherson the justice to say that he acted according to his instructions and in fact he so reported to halleck on the tenth of may he had by this time become convinced that buzzard's roost gap was naturally and artificially too strong to be attempted and had resolved to feign at this point but to move the bulk of his army by the right flank through snake creek gap and place himself if possible between johnston and Rosaka. but johnston on the other hand had no fear of being cut off by this manoeuvre even when he began to suspect it he considered his camp well defended by james canty's division and on the eleventh 
when sherman's march towards snake creek gap was begun the strength of the entrenched camp was much greater and the number of the garrison had been increased from two to thirteen brigades by the arrival of the rest of polk's corps from the south sherman's army moved by the right at daybreak on the twelfth leaving only howard's corps and stoneman's cavalry to keep up a show of force in front of dalton and to pursue johnston if he should retreat he learned by reconnaissance under wheeler of the departure of sherman and was duly informed by polk of the arrival of a heavy column through snake creek gap on the twelfth he evacuated dalton that night and speedily concentrated his entire force at resaca howard followed his rear on the morning of the thirteenth capturing some prisoners at dalton and along the road and joined sherman's left in the course of the day a series of skirmishes so sharp and destructive as to deserve the name of battles now took place between the opposing armies on either side of camp creek during the fourteenth and fifteenth of may each side fought with equal vigor and enterprise the confederates being protected by their works by their position and by the nature of the ground over which the fighting was done the losses on both sides were considerable sherman's being of course the heavier but while he was pressing the confederate forces in his front he was as usual stretching out his line and demonstrating in the enemy's rear sweeney's division crossed the ostanula on the morning of the fifteenth entrenched itself and bridged the river general johnston on receiving this news felt that further delay would be fatal and therefore withdrew during the night of the fifteenth burning his bridges behind him this however occasioned sherman little delay he had telegraphed during the day we intend to fight joe johnston until he is satisfied and i hope he will not attempt to escape if he does my bridges are down and we will be after him the next day he entered resaca and was astonished at the strength of the position and the elaborate works which had been abandoned but without a moment's delay he pushed his forces over the river in pursuit of the enemy johnston intended to make a stand near calhoun but it is singular that on arriving there although he had been encamped so long in that region he found no suitable ground for fighting he retired next to adairsville where according to his maps the valley of the Othcaloga was so narrow that he expected his army, formed in order of battle across it, would hold the heights on the right and left with its flanks. But, what seems almost incredible, his maps again failed him, and he found that he could here obtain no advantage of ground. So, after a rest of eighteen hours, his troops fell back to Cassville. At Adairsville the roads leading south diverge. One follows the railroad to Kingston, the other runs in a straight line through Cassville, to a bridge over the etowah river the railroad turns east at kingsville and crosses the etowah about twelve miles away cassville lying some two miles north of the road and about six miles from kingston both armies divided at adairsville johnston marched polk and hood directly to cassville and hardy to kingston thomas marched after hardy and hooker and schofield moved direct upon cassville this was the finest opportunity which had been presented to johnston during the campaign of beating the enemy in detail sherman's principal force had followed hardy to kingston and johnston in high hopes ordered hood and polk on the eighteenth to march out of cassville and try to crush sherman's left wing north of that place the movement came to nothing on account as johnston says of the lack of harmonious cooperation between hood and polk no attack was made upon schofield's advancing column and the sound of the Federal artillery chasing Hardy out of Kingston convinced General Johnston that he was to have the whole of Sherman's army on his hands at once. He fell back to the ridge immediately south of Cassville, which he says was the best position he saw occupied during the war. 
with a broad open elevated valley in front of it completely commanded by the fire of troops occupying its crest here at last he halted on the evening of the nineteenth of may expecting to receive and hoping to repulse sherman's attack the next morning but soon after dark he received an invitation to meet his lieutenant generals at polk's headquarters and going there found polk and hood who informed him to his bitter chagrin and dismay that neither of their corps would be able to hold its position next day because as they said a part of each was enfiladed by federal artillery he says that both generals agreed in urging him to abandon the ground and cross the etowah general hood in his account of this interview does not deny that he said the ground was untenable but insists that he urged going forward to attack the enemy instead of waiting his attack on the ground general hardy on the contrary who was present at the latter part of the interview confirms the statement of general johnston although the position says johnston was the best we had occupied i yielded at last in the belief that the confidence of the commanders of two of the three corps of the army of their inability to resist the enemy would inevitably be communicated to their troops and produce that inability lieutenant general hardy who arrived after this decision remonstrated against it strongly and was confident that his corps could hold its ground although less favorably posted the error was adhered to however and the position abandoned before daybreak general sherman had already come into possession of johnston's general order announcing to the confederate troops that their retreat was at an end and that they were now to give battle to their enemy he therefore expected to enjoy that morning the opportunity for a decisive engagement which he had so eagerly sought for the past week but he found only an empty camp before him he had been excessively anxious to bring johnston to battle the division of his forces at daresville and their rapid movement forward in two columns had been occasioned by his intense desire to lose no opportunity to strike the enemy he said to schofield on the evening of the eighteenth if we can bring johnston to battle this side of etowah we must do it even at the hazard of beginning battle with but part of our forces on the twentieth of may a rapid pursuit was made but johnston had gained such a start in the night that he was able to cross the etowah river without serious molestation the first stage of the great campaign was ended a large extent of country had been won from the confederates by the capture of the towns of kingston and rome and a large quantity of material of inestimable value to the rebels was captured and destroyed sherman with his usual restless energy lost not a moment's time at the etowah he established his new base of supplies at kingston bridging the river with that marvellous alacrity which had become a matter of habit to his army and at once started in hot pursuit of the enemy he had however now come to a part of the country with which he was familiar having journeyed over this region twenty years before when he was a young lieutenant of artillery between the town of marietta and the etowah river the road runs through a wild and difficult defile called the alatuna pass and sherman determined that instead of pursuing through this rough and easily defensible road he would turn on the right by marching from kingston to marietta by way of dallas mcpherson had the right wing thomas was on the main road in the centre hooker's corps leading and schofield had the left rear but johnston whose vigilance throughout this entire campaign was unsleeping became at once aware of this movement and sherman on the other hand had the good fortune of capturing a cavalry picket who had on his person an order from johnston which showed he was aware of the march and direction of the national army it was therefore with a perfect knowledge of each other's intentions that the two armies met on the twenty fifth of may at the crossroads called new hope church about four miles northeast of dallas general geary's division of hooker's corps first struck hood's command 
forming the right of the confederate force in its hastily prepared entrenchments and although he attacked with great vigor and energy he had gained no ground by nightfall during the night the confederates greatly strengthened their position and johnston got his forces so well in hand hood holding the right polk the center and hardy the extreme left where he was opposed by mcpherson that in the morning when sherman brought up his entire force he was unable to make any impression upon the strong lines of the confederates a continuous skirmishing fight varied by several movements on each side which at times took on the dimensions of a battle filled the whole day of the twenty sixth whenever either side left its entrenchments to assail the other it was repulsed and although there was considerable loss of life no special advantage was gained by anybody but by evening of that day it was clear to sherman that the road to alatuna was now open to him he had only to hold his entrenchments with a part of his force and move the rest by the left flank to the railroad he ordered mcpherson to disengage himself from hardy and close up on hooker but like many a hero of pioneer history mcpherson found that letting go of a wild cat was no easy task the moment he turned from his entrenchments on the morning of the twenty eighth hardy was upon him a furious battle took place at the end of which although he had repulsed his assailant and held his ground he found it still very difficult to retire it was not until the first of june that he was able to bring off his army and effect a junction with hooker at new hope but all this while thomas and schofield were extending towards the left and approaching the railroad each side held its lines in the midst of a skirmish fire so hot and malignant that the soldiers christened the unhallowed neighborhood by the name of hell-hole holding his right in close contact with the enemy's position sherman gradually worked to the left until his strong infantry line had reached and secured possession of all the wagon roads to ackworth by this means the pass of alatuna fell into his possession without further trouble and he at once gave orders to repair the railroad from kingston to the point and put the bridges over the etowah in good order johnston seeing that sherman had accomplished his purpose and having no further object in holding the lines at new hope evacuated the position and fell back to the lofty stronghold formed by a triangle of mountains the northern apex of which was pine mountain the base ran from lost mountain on the west to kennesaw on the east behind which lay the town of marietta sherman established his new line directly north of johnston's position his left under mcpherson holding the railroad thomas in the centre obliqued to the right deploying below kennesaw and facing pine mountain and schofield on the general right towards lost mountain by the eleventh of june the etowah bridge was done but active operations were rendered impossible for several days by pouring rains on the fourteenth the rains slackened and sherman reconnoitred the position between kennesaw and pine mountain with the purpose of attempting a breach in the lines at the same moment general johnston with general polk and some of the other officers rode up to pine mountain to examine the ground with a view of retiring the troops from that position which he thought was too much exposed sherman observing the group on the opposite hill gave orders to the artillery to fire a few volleys so as to compel the enemy to keep under cover at the second shot fired general polk was killed his place was temporarily filled by general w w loring and afterwards permanently by lieutenant general a p stuart the next day johnston evacuated pine mountain which was immediately occupied by sherman and the national lines were extended to the immediate front of the confederates which now stretched across from kennesaw to lost mountain the new position was so closely pressed at every point by thomas mcpherson and schofield that johnston 
becoming convinced his lines were too extended to be safe in case of the assault which he foresaw abandoned six miles of strong field works and fell back to an entrenched line near to marietta in his new position general hood's corps covered marietta on the northeast loring holding kennesaw mountain and hardy holding the left to the road which ran between marietta and lost mountain the bold front of kennesaw formed the salient of his line and the flanks were refused on both sides covering marietta and his communications not only was the position one of great strength but it had been fortified with the utmost care for months before all the available slave labor had been bestowed upon it and now the army under experienced engineers added the finishing touches until it seemed as on trial it turned out to be impregnable but if on the one hand the position of johnston was now too formidable to be attacked with prudence on the other hand it was so compact that sherman was perfectly able to hold him tight within his entrenchments with a portion of his force and to feel round one or the other flank for his communications in spite of bad weather which lasted for three weeks he made constant progress on his right wing until at last johnston became seriously disquieted as to his safety from that quarter if sherman had persevered but a few days longer in this course he would have had kennesaw without a struggle johnston was already constructing two lines of defense in case of retreat one ten miles south of marietta and another on the high ground on the river covering the approaches to the railroad bridge and turner's ferry sherman made an important forward movement on his right on the twenty second of june pushing hooker forward to culp house but as usual johnston's vigilance had been equal to every demand upon it and he had posted general hood at the threatened point with a heavy force hood attacked with his usual fury and although he was soundly whipped and driven back with great loss it was a certain disappointment to sherman to find so heavy a force upon the ground heavy as it was hooker greatly exaggerated it in his dispatch announcing the engagement saying that three entire corps were in his front for this and other reasons sherman rebuked him and their relations were never afterwards cordial for some motive for which general sherman has never given any adequate explanation he now resolved to assault johnston's position in front this desperate enterprise was ordered for the twenty seventh of june mcpherson was directed to assault near kennesaw and thomas about a mile to the south in front of the ground occupied by the fourth corps davis's and newton's divisions were designated by thomas to form the assaulting column the point chosen for the attack was a salient in johnston's works which was selected because the ground in front was comparatively open at eight o'clock in the morning under cover of heavy artillery fire the brigades of daniel mccook and john g mitchell leapt over their entrenchments and rushed for the enemy's works under a terrible fire of artillery and musketry they went forward in splendid order about six hundred yards and only halted when they reached the confederate entrenchments the attempt was here seen to be hopeless such was the strength of the works so heavy had been the loss of the assaulting column and so great the exhaustion of those who reached the enemy's parapets that no attempt was made to carry them but even in this desperate situation they did not retreat thomas ordered general davis to hold the position and fortify it entrenching tools were at once sent forward and only a few yards from the confederate works under a terrible fire this heroic column entrenched itself and held the ground it had gained the loss had been frightful daniel mccook was killed colonel oscar f Harmon, next in rank fell immediately afterwards newton's division met with no better success they were held by formidable obstructions and entanglements and a most destructive fire he therefore withdrew his division general charles g harker was killed 
and the loss in his brigade and in george d wagner's was very great the attack was made with energy and some of his men were killed on the parapets on mcpherson's front the operations amounted to nothing more than a strong demonstration against a spur of little kennesaw he gained some ground but did not break the confederate line it was difficult for sherman to admit that the attack had failed until nearly noon he was still urging thomas to break through the line if possible it is easier now than it will be hereafter he said at two twenty five in the afternoon when he ordered thomas to secure what advantageous ground he had gained thomas smarting under the sense of a useless sacrifice of his soldiers replied that he still held all the ground he had gained and the division commanders reported their ability to hold and added we have already lost heavily to-day without gaining any material advantage one or two more such assaults would use up the army in the evening sherman not in the least shaken by the day's bad fortune but ready as usual to admit the fact of the failure and to adopt some other course suggested a move on fulton cutting loose from the railroad thomas with unusual sullenness replied i think it decidedly better than butting against breastworks twelve feet thick sherman unlike grant at cold harbor never admitted that his assault at kennesaw was a mistake in his memoirs and in his report as well as in his letters to halleck and grant he stoutly defends it to halleck he says i had to do it the enemy and our own army and officers had settled down into the conviction that the assault of lines formed no part of my game and the moment the enemy was found behind anything like a parapet why everybody would deploy throw up counterworks and take it easy leaving it to the old man to turn the position to grant he said i regarded an assault on the twenty seventh of june necessary for two good reasons first because the enemy as well as my own army had settled down into the belief that flanking alone was my game and the second that on that day and ground had the assault succeeded i could have broken johnston's centre and pushed his army back in confusion and with great loss to his bridges over the chattahoochee the losses in this costly battle were twenty five hundred on the union side johnston admits a loss of about five hundred and finds it difficult to believe that sherman's loss is as small as we have stated he seems to think that it would not be quite creditable to sherman's army to have lost only two and a half per cent of its force in this desperate attack but only a few brigades were actually engaged the forests except in very few exposed places ran up almost to the abatis of the confederate works and the troops forming the column of attack had so much experience and intelligence that they sought cover the moment it was clearly shown that the work assigned them was impossible the only advantage of the bloody day's work was the advance made by cox's division of schofield's corps beyond Olley's creek which amounted to a virtual flanking of johnston's position the moment sherman began to shift his troops to the right with a view to a movement on the chattahoochee johnston withdrew his army to a position which had been prepared in advance at smyrna and sherman rising at the earliest dawn of the third of july and scanning the crest of kennesaw with a glass saw his pickets cautiously crawling to the top of the mountain and running excitedly along the abandoned crest he started his staff in every direction to order a keen pursuit he rode at once into marietta where he concentrated his army to follow johnston he issued the most vehement orders to his subordinates to lose not an instant so as to catch johnston before he reached the chattahoochee to mcpherson he said if you ever worked in your life work at daybreak to-morrow on the flank crossing nickajack somehow and the moment you discover confusion pour in your fire to thomas he said we will never have such a chance again and i want you to impress on hooker howard and palmer the importance of the most intense energy of attack to-night and in the morning and to press with vehemence 
at any cost of life and material every inch of his line should be felt and the moment there is a give pursuit should be made you know what loss would ensue to johnston if he crosses his bridges at night in confusion with artillery thundering at random on his rear but there was no confusion and properly speaking nothing like flight in the confederate army johnston retired at his leisure to smyrna campground and there halted keeping back sherman's advance until he had his trains safely collected by the bridges of the chattahoochee the fourth of july was celebrated as sherman says by a noisy but not a desperate battle and during the night johnston withdrew his army and his trains inside his tete de pont at the chattahoochee which sherman says was one of the strongest pieces of field fortifications he ever saw here he stood defiantly the existence of this powerful work was entirely unsuspected by sherman and of course frustrated his hope of catching johnston in confusion at the crossing of the chattahoochee not wishing to repeat the costly experiment of the twenty seventh of june he refrained from assaulting the work but spread his wings on either side far up and down the river threatening strongly on the right at a point where a curve of the chattahoochee brought him nearer to atlanta than johnston was at the same time searching the fords thoroughly on the left until he found two eligible places at roswell and at soap's ferry where he crossed two divisions and entrenched strongly on the other side he had previously dispatched southward general rousseau who with a cavalry force of some two thousand men started from decatur on the eighth of july across the Coosa, struck the railroad west of Opelaka, destroyed it for twenty miles, and returned with his command safe, having several hundred captured mules and horses, and reported to Sherman south of the river. Of course, as soon as Johnston learned of the establishment of a heavy force by Sherman's south of the Chattahoochee, on his right flank, he saw that his position was no longer tenable on the north of that river. He evacuated his trenches during the night of the ninth of July, burning the bridges and carrying his pontoons with him sherman spent a few days in strengthening the several points for the passage of the river increasing the number and capacity of his bridges rearranging the garrisons to his rear and bringing forward supplies general frank blair with the seventeenth corps had joined him and the army was as strong as when it left chattanooga his army was at this time about double that of johnston the proper proportion which should always obtain between an army of invasion subject to constant depletion by the necessary demands for detachments for the guarding of communications and an army of defence which can avail itself of all the natural features of the country and can generally choose its time of fighting behind entrenchments it is difficult to ascertain the precise numbers of the two armies but they were not far on either side from one hundred thousand and fifty thousand the power of johnston had relatively decreased and that of sherman had slowly gained in the long and destructive march from the tennessee line to the heart of georgia johnston's losses during the month of may were about ninety five hundred during the month of june about seven thousand jefferson davis and general hood represent johnston's losses as much heavier than these but this is an instance where the personal prejudice of these writers leads them into the unusual error of exaggerating confederate losses the casualties of sherman's army for the month of may were about nine thousand for the month of june seventy five hundred the aggregate on each side is large yet when it is considered that almost every day of these two months had witnessed either a battle or continuous hot skirmishing the wonder is that the casualties were so few End of chapter one